0: Hello, and welcome to Rama Buddhist Monastery. We welcome you back to this week's episode of the Buddha's Guide to Happiness. We've come a long way, haven't we, from when we started. We've been tackling, I suppose, the most interesting problem that we all have as human beings, We get up to all sorts of things to try and tackle this problem, to deal with this problem, to find long-lasting, everlasting, profound and all overarching answers. But we know that despite all efforts over so many hundreds of thousands, millions of years of our human evolution, we have not as yet managed to find a sustainable answer to this problem something that is a proper answer something that is an everlasting answer so when we embarked on this journey all of us, we understood that there was a fundamental problem that needed solving and that was our quest for happiness a happiness that is everlasting a happiness that is unconditional a happiness that cannot be taken away from us we had not found something like that for all the advances in science and technology and various other disciplines that have touched our lives We have not yet found the method to be happy forever. So, with this problem, or faced with this problem, we embarked on this journey to find out if this was truly possible. We have come a long way, as I said, from where we started to where we are today. Not only have we discovered for ourselves, that it may be possible that such a happiness is well within our grasp. But we have also, by now, covered quite a bit of territory into understanding how we may be able to achieve that. We are prepared today to take another step forwards on that journey. But before we do so, let us take a moment To pay homage to our Supreme Teacher, he who discovered this all by himself. And not only that, he didn't stop at that, he spent the rest of his life teaching what he had discovered to all humanity, to all sentient beings. We speak of none other than the Lord Buddha, and it is to him we pay this homage. Namo tasse, bagaveto, arahato, some ma, some budhasse. Namo tasse, bagaveto, arahato, some ma, some budhasse. Namo tasse, bagaveto, arahato, some ma, We know by now. That it is not the mere lack or shortage, or to put quite simply, not having what we want that brings us unhappiness. We know today that this is a very rudimentary explanation of unhappiness. It makes little sense to believe that external objects, events, people, things, are wholly responsible for our happiness and well-being. It makes no sense, we understand today, to attribute our happiness to these external factors, because we understand That there are people out there who are quite content with life, satisfied and fulfilled, with nothing other than a thread of cloth to keep them warm, some shelter to keep them dry from the rains, and shelter from the scorching sun. We know that provided they have something, to save their hunger, and some water, some drink, to quench their thirst. And if they were to fall ill, some medicines to heal them. They can be happy without recourse to any other external factors. We know this is possible, therefore, because we have seen others do it. This then begs the question, why is it that we need so many things to keep us happy? We have become accustomed to living a materialistic life and to hold these principles as true, that it is the material things in our lives that bring us happiness, and then to build up our lives around them, with them and around them. So much so that we have become so dependent on them so entirely reliant on them. It seems almost unimaginable to live a life of happiness without most of the things that you have so become accustomed to having and using. Take a moment to think about some of the things that you have at home. Take a walk around your living room, the kitchen, the bedroom, your study, and any other room that you hold dear in your homes and ask yourself, all these things that I have, if they were taken away from me, are there those that would make me unhappy? Are there those that would take away my happiness? Are there things that if taken away from me, would make me quite unhappy? So how is it then that there are people out there who live with less than half of what I own, less than a third of what I have, with almost nothing compared to what I have, and they're still as happy as happy can be? So this was the question that we posed to ourselves. And As we had failed to find answers through what we already know about the world, what we had learnt at school, through university, and in various forms of academics, we then turned to Buddhism. This is when we began to understand that rather than trying to first figure out what Buddhism is, What's more important is to figure out why Buddhism. So you remember this is where we started. And then from there we worked our way forward. One step at a time. Until we have come to where we are now today. We know today that happiness is not, again, it's not about not having what we want. It's about not wanting things in the first place. So it is wanting that brings us unhappiness. Because once we want something, you cannot be happy. When you want something, you are either in one of two states, aren't you? You either have it or you don't have it. When you have it, you are in fear of losing it. Because there is nothing in this world that you have that someone else also, wants. There is nothing in this world that you have that cannot be taken away from you. Therefore, almost immediately you become what we discussed last week a security guard, a protector, a, the guardian of the things that you own, the things that you have, the things that you possess. There's that half. And then the other state is where you don't have what you want, but you still want them. And then Yes, you don't have to be a protector of them. You don't have to be their guardian. But you are left in a sorrowful state. Sorry for yourself. You go about looking for it. You go about trying to find how it is you could acquire it. By pleading or begging or toiling. And if all fails... By stealing, people may be inclined to acquire what it is that they desire. So, to redeem yourself from this state of sorrow, action has to be taken. Activity has to be made. And that, again, is labor. So, there is the pain of labor. That takes action. That requires energy effort and we discussed this at the start in one of our first programs or one of those programs right at the beginning that you wouldn't do anything unless you thought it was going to make you happy. So take away the promise of happiness and it simply becomes laborious, not enjoyable, not fun, to be prevented, to be avoided if at all possible. Procrastinated, if at all possible. So, the activity in itself is not fun, but it is the promise of happiness that helps you to overcome that mental barrier as well as the physical barrier to go ahead and do it anyway. So, in either of these two states, You are left unhappy. And it is ironical, as we discussed, that the very thing that promises to make us happy is the very thing that takes our happiness away from us. Either in its pursuit, or once you've got it, in keeping it safe, either from others, or from the elements, or from time itself. Because you know, time is, although considered the best healer, time is also a killer, it's a silent killer. It takes away everything that we own, it takes away everything that we know, everything that we love and care so deeply about. It's just a matter of time before everything we have is lost, including our dear and precious lives itself. So in this state of conundrum, you can never be truly happy. Therefore, we have to find another way to achieve unconditional happiness. And this is where we all agreed that then the only possible alternative would be to rid the mind of wanting. We then began to explore the science behind wanting. How is it that wanting comes into being? Is it a condition of life and existence? Or is it something that comes about and, in the very same way, can be put out or quenched. If wanting is something that comes about, then it must come about from a previous state of there not being any wanting, meaning it has to be conditional. And if something's conditional, then the same way that, comes in, that it comes into being, through the coming together of the conditions that bring it about, in the same way, it can be eradicated. It can be extinguished. It can be terminated, gotten rid of. Because the very conditions, the very causes that bring about something together are the same causes and the same conditions that would be responsible for putting it out. Because what you put in to get something out, the same things if you don't put in or take away, will put it out. Quite simple. This is the principle of cause and effect in its most simple form. So now, armed with that knowledge and armed with the understanding that it is wanting that brings us suffering, we can now start to chip away at wanting. But first, we had to work out what was the cause of wanting. We then went on to realize that it is attachment that is the cause of wanting. Only if we are attached to things will we want them. Things we are not attached to, we don't want. You know you only want things that you are attached to. And by attached I mean mentally attached, not physically, mentally. We know that there are there's a difference quite a distinct difference between needs and wants a need is something that you well need to survive but a want is not something that you need it is something extra additional superfluous to your sustenance it's a mental desire and therefore ridding your life of it is not going to do you a great deal of harm, if any at all. We discuss this at some point. Because yes, we understand that wanting can be got rid of, but do we want to get rid of of it? Should we? What if getting rid of it would do us harm? In which case, we should probably reconsider. But then having understood Having reminded ourselves that wants and needs are two very separate and distinct things, independent of each other. You can't live without the things you need, but of course you have no problem at all surviving without the things you want. Needs have always been needs, right from the first human being to who we are today. You need fresh air to breathe, yes? That's always been the case. You need food to set your hunger. Yeah, well, that's always been the case. You need water to quench your thirst. No, you don't need soft drinks. You don't need apple juice. You don't need other beverages. You need water to quench your thirst. Yeah, well, that's always been the case. To keep you warm. You need clothes to keep you dry, to keep you away from the scorching sun. You need a roof over your head that is shelter. That's always been the case. Early man lived in caves. Today we live in homes. Either way, we've always needed it. Not we've always wanted it, we've always needed it. So that is true and there's nothing wrong with that. And then finally, whenever we fall ill, when something's not quite right with ourselves, then we need something to put ourselves right. Medicines. That's always been the case. Right from prehistoric times where man resorted to using the herbs that he could gather up from his surroundings to today where medicine has advanced so much where you can go from simply taking a pill to complete head-to-toe surgery to fix things that are wrong with yourselves. All of this are things that we need, not things that we want. Life is not complicated if we can live with the things that we need. Life is quite simple. But when we switch from satisfying ourselves with the things we need to trying to satisfy ourselves with what we want, then that's a whole new ball game. Then we move from being able to satisfy ourselves to never being able to satisfy ourselves. And why is that? Why do you think that is the case? Why is it that needs can satisfy us but wants can never satisfy us? If you got this answer, Well done. Which is, there's no limit to wants. What you want is limitless. Today you will want something, tomorrow you can want another thing. And the following day you can want something more, something else, something different. There is no end to wanting. It's non-stop. You can never write a list of all the things you want. But you can write a list of the things you need. Wouldn't you agree? Have you ever tried to do it? Write down a list of things you need. Write down a list of things you want. One list, you'll come to a natural end. And most people will have absolutely no problem with that. In fact, you can compare these lists with others. And your list of needs, you'll realize, is common. Lots of common things in those lists. But your list of wants, they're very diverse. So much so that you are who you are based on what you want, isn't it? What makes you different from the other person? What makes you different from your siblings? I'm not talking about the physical differences. Let's put all that to a side. Your preferences, what about them? These are things you want. Our lives have become so complicated because of what we want. And those wants can never be fulfilled. Because the moment you get something you want, now you move on to the next thing. And a commercialized world does a fine job at making sure that you are always on your tiptoes. reaching out for the next thing. Because they'll always keep you wanting stuff. I mean, that's the way the world has to advance. The world has to operate. That's how commerce can function, can continue to be relevant. Advertising, marketing, industry. Most of these sectors in today's society entirely depend on you continuing to want stuff. So this is, they have tapped into a never-ending resource. It's lovely jubbly for them. People have realized, people have discovered that your wanting can never be satisfied. Therefore, provided they keep you wanting one thing after the other, there'll always be business. There'll always be able to make money out of you. So you are like a money-making machine for them. This might sound like a very dark, or a very crude way of explaining what has happened to us in society. But this is the truth if you take a moment to step back and take a holistic view at things. Rather than trying to defend yourself, if you might just take a step back and look at the whole thing, the grand scheme of things, take a bird's eye view of what's going on, you realize that this is what's going on. Then you will have to agree with me. Your wantings, as long as they are insatiable, money can be made. Business can be done. The world can advance. People can make money out of you. That's why I said, you have become a money-making machine. I'm not saying and I'm not commenting on whether that is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying, I'm just making an observation. And I'm showing you the way I observe it and inviting you to think about it. Keeping an open mind. Ask yourself, if this is what's happening to me, if you agree, then are you okay with that? It's everyone for himself. Every man for himself. Are you okay with that? You see, on television, people who know that your wants are insatiable, that you have an insatiable appetite for the things you want, will keep on promoting, advertising things, new things, novel things, interesting things, all sorts of things. Because all they have to do is just get you to want it. They can't get you to need something. That is impossible. Because a need is a... I suppose a biological requirement. You need something to survive. Without that, you'd be dead. Without air to breathe, without food, without water, without clothes, without shelter, without medicines. You'd be dead. Or at least your life would be very difficult. It would be very painful. Quite literally painful. But wants are not like that. It is the mind that grasps on to these wants. Not the body. And the mind never... The mind didn't always want them. So these wantings, they were implanted in your mind. One at a time, over time, they grew. One after the other. You know that you never wanted the things you want today in your childhood days. Right? As a child, you wanted to be with your friends. You wanted to be with your parents. You wanted some toys. Maybe you wanted a bicycle. Maybe you wanted some sweets. Those are the things you wanted as a child. But then over time, your wants changed because you were exposed to society. You were exposed to television. You were exposed to the radio. You were exposed to the internet. You were exposed to social media. You were exposed to marketing, advertising, peer pressure, and so on. As you were exposed to them, they influenced you one at a time. Every single time, planting a seedling in your mind. And then, provided there's enough repetition, and if you ask the advertising gurus, they'll tell you how many times you have to listen to the same message before you buy it. This has all been researched. It's been documented. It's been studied and analyzed. It's been tested and tried in the labs and using psychology and now they are being used on you. You have become the lab rats of people and society who want to make a living out of you. I'm not saying they are evil by any chance so please don't misunderstand me. It is not out of Evilness or vileness or spite that they do it. I don't know if they do but I doubt that that is, that is what they do. But they don't understand that there's another way. In fact, because they themselves are caught in this rat race. The people who influence you In these ways are influenced themselves so what they don't know is happening to them they can't stop doing to you because they don't see what's wrong with it they don't see there's a fundamental error in trying to do that to make you happy because you see they themselves believe that your happiness is to be achieved in those ways. So really, if you ask them, they're trying to make you happy. By first making you want stuff and then getting you to acquire it. But of course, they can't give it to you for free. Otherwise, how would they go and get what they want? Because to get what they want, They need to give you what you want. And first, they need to make you want it. In just the same way that someone made them want what they want, they make you want what you want. So you see, it's a case of the blind leading the blind. No one knows what's happening to them and no one knows really what they're doing to each other. No one knows that there's a way out of this trap because they don't even know they're in a trap. Destitution. This is true destitution. It's a bit like this. I'll give you an analogy. Imagine a man and woman were imprisoned for something that they had done broken the law, done something wrong and they got imprisoned. So now they're in prison. After a while, they get to know each other, they fall in love. And let's just say that in this prison you could live if you wanted as husband and wife. And they go on to bring offspring. So they have a child. This child is now born to a mother and father who are both inmates of a prison. This child comes into this world in the prison. So the parents are never allowed to leave this prison. So the mother gives birth to the child in the prison, surrounded by the four great walls. Now, these parents, these new parents, know that there's life outside these four walls, don't they? Because they lived outside these four walls for a considerable part of their lives, and certainly until they were incarcerated. Now they're in prison. They know that this is not normalcy. This is not normal. Life in prison is not normal. Normal is outside prison. But hey, and let's imagine they've been in prison for life. Now we have to be okay with this because we are in prison for life. They have a child. This child comes into this world within those four walls. They only know life within the prison walls. And let's just imagine that the parents on no occasion and none of the None of the friends of this child or anyone that they had an encounter with had even, had said or even alluded to the fact that the world goes on beyond the four walls of the prison. Now, what what does this kid know? This kid knows that he or she is alive, that this is the world that he or she lives in, and the world is how big Of course, this child's world is within the perimeter walls of this prison, because the child does not know anything about life outside the four walls. I know, this is a far-fetched example, but I'm just giving you an analogy so you can understand what I'm talking about you might question, well, Bhante, you know, if the child has never done any wrong, why would they keep him in prison? Surely they should let him go free. Yes, but that's not the point here. I'm not talking about law. I'm talking about, I'm, I'm using this as an analogy to explain something to you. And I'm sure you'll understand that. So this child grows up knowing only one thing, that this is life. This is the way it is. Life within these four walls is life. There is nothing outside of these four walls. And he would never even question. There wouldn't be a re- reason or a need to question. You see, the parents, they are helpless. Why? Because they know that there is life outside this prison and that is normal and this is not normal. And if there were some way they could get out, they probably would make use of it. But there is no one to help them. Help them do what? To get out. They are not allowed to break free. It's not possible. Let's say this is an impenetrable prison. So they are helpless. But what about the child? Do you think the child is helpless? Because to be helpless, you'll, you need to need help, right? And then you don't get help. Then that's when you're helpless. First, you will need help. But then if you don't get help, then you're helpless. But ask this child, Hey kid, do you need help to get out of prison? He'll go, what are you talking about? Get out of prison. What do you mean, get out of prison? What do you mean, get out? I mean, this is, prison is my home. This is where I am. This is the world. I mean, how can you get out of the world? How can you get out of the only place to be? (laughs) Right? So, the kid's never going to say, I'm helpless. The kid doesn't even want help. The kid doesn't understand that help is needed. Therefore, we use a better word for that. The kid is destitute. He doesn't know he needs help. Therefore, he doesn't go looking for help. The parents, on the other hand, may from time to time inquire if there's any way to get out of prison. They might go up to their authorities, maybe the prison guards, and maybe... Plead to them. Beg to them. Perhaps they might be on their best behavior just in case they get considered for a pardon. Why? Because they have a desire to get out of prison. But not the kid. There's, it's, it's technically impossible. It's logically Unreasonable. There's no rationale to expect the child to want to get out of prison because how can you get out of the only place you can be? Why would you want that? Now, the same applies for what's going on in this world to the people who live in this world. I'm talking about what's happening in the world that you and I live in and I'm talking about what's happening to you and how you are part of it either knowingly or unknowingly. The change that I can make for you, the difference that I can make in your lives, is to open your eyes and show you that this is what's going on. You can choose to accept, you can choose to ignore. Either way, the effect of that is yours and yours alone. The consequences of that are yours and yours alone. But I can only show you what's going on. That's why I said, take for a moment how this world goes on and how you have become a part of what keeps this world in its current state of operation. Now, one might think, well, isn't that a good thing, though, Bhante? To be part of civilization, to be part of how everything works and operates, to be part of the whole mechanism and the dynamics of this worldly existence? Well, I suppose you could see it from that perspective. My qualm with that is not essentially or necessarily the fact that you are a contributing part of the world and how it operates, but instead the fact that it is through your suffering you contribute to the world and its existence. That is the only thing that I have a problem with. Because you see, just as we discussed a moment ago, you are a money-making machine. You see, there's plenty for every human being if all they needed was what they needed. But the moment man moves from what he needs or satisfying himself with what he needs to satisfying his wants, which is insatiable. Because the moment you want one thing and that is given, you move on to something else. There's never going to be a day where you can say, that's it, I'm happy, I've got everything I want. Ask yourself if there's ever been such a day has there ever been a day where you've thought to yourself, you know what, that's it. I, I, there's nothing else I want. Now, at this point, you might say, well, hang on a second, Bhante. Yes, well, you know, as a matter of fact, there have been days like that where I've been quite comfortable with everything. I had my children, I've got my home, I've got enough money in the bank, Right, and I've got food in the fridge. I've got my television. I've got the newspaper. I've got my coffee, and I can lay down on my chair, just looking outside into the garden. And you know, I'm just happy. There's nothing else I want. Really. What about all those things that you just keep a list of? Are you telling me you don't want them? What you just said is, these are the reasons why I'm happy, yes or no? These are the reasons why I'm happy. In other words, if you were to take away any one of them, that would put me into a state of misery. From my children, to my spouse, to my television, to that cappuccino, to my Blossoming flowers in the garden. To my apple tree. Everything. Take away any of these things and I'll be back into a state of misery because it is these things that keep me happy. Now you see, the logic here that I would like you to understand is all these things that you have just said, right? Now this is a subtle point and I, and I really hope that you Try and understand what I'm trying to share with you here. You see, all these things that we just gave a list of, would you agree are not things that you always wanted? As in, from your childhood, right from day one of your life on this earth, you didn't want all of them. Certainly not the cappuccino. Certainly not the television. Certainly not those flowers in the garden. You didn't even know what flowers was, let alone a garden. So, over time, you picked up these wants. You acquired a taste for all these things that today you have surrounded yourself with. They're all an acquired taste. You've, you're familiar with that term, aren't you? An acquired taste. That people say, you know, some foods, and they say, I like this. Do you? And say, well, not quite. I'm sure that's an acquired taste. But the thing is, though, everything that you want is actually an acquired taste. You acquired a taste for it. Now, my subtle point is this. What's changed since then? What do I mean? Well, you see, There was you, let's say, 20 years ago, before you had acquired all of those things that you just said. Right? From your children to your garden, to your coffee, to your television, right? To your table lamp and the things that you have in your home that, you know, keep it a lovely home and make you feel nice and cozy. All these things, 20 years ago, when you didn't have any of them, you were in a particular state of mind where you could be influenced. How do we know this? Well, look at 20 years later and you can see how you were influenced. Look at all those things you've acquired. Because the moment you began to desire something, you went on to acquire it. So you acquired something because you desired it. Right? So the fact that you have gone and made enterprise, made some kind of venture or some kind of activity, expended energy to acquire something, means you desired it by simple virtue of that fact. You desired it. To a lesser or greater extent, you desired it. And now you own it. So now you possess it. Now you've acquired it. So if that was 20 years ago, you started that journey, what has changed? Mentally. Through the acquisition of those things, have you now become a person who cannot be influenced? Has that changed? The fact that you can be influenced, has that changed? The fact that new desires, new wantings can be put into your mind from 20 years ago to today, has that changed? That hasn't changed, has it? What's changed is you... Have things that you want today that you didn't 20 years ago. But who you are, the fact that you can be made to want something, that fact has not changed. So today you can still be made to want stuff. I mean, it is, of course, obvious that you still want stuff because take away some of the things you already own, the things you want, the things you say, you know, I've got all these things, so what else do I want? I'm happy. Well, the things that you just said you want, those are the things you want because that is what makes you happy. Take them away and now you are in a state of misery, sorrow. So, therefore, to maintain, to retain your state of happiness, you have to continue to be the guardian of all those things that you just read out a list of. And besides, as I just said, your state of mind, whereby you can be influenced to want new things, that hasn't changed. Do you remember the last time you wanted something new? Take a moment to think about this just now. Was it when you were talking to a friend, for instance? Your friend said, you know what? I got this new thing from this new place, from this new person or from somebody and, you know, it's the best thing ever. I think it's really nice and I think you should try it. It could have been an experience. It could have been an item of food, maybe an item of clothing. Whatever. Ask yourself, when was the last time that happened to you? When was the last time you were influenced? to go on to acquire something new? When was the last time you acquired a taste? It might have been when you were talking to a friend or it might have been when you were watching TV. Maybe you were watching a teledrama. Maybe you were watching a movie. Maybe you were watching an advert. Perhaps it was subliminal messaging Perhaps you were listening to the radio. Perhaps you were on the web. Just reading the news, what's going on in the world, and on the, in the side, there comes a pop-up. And there, you are introduced to the next best, best thing. This is what you need, they'll say. But really, it's not what you need. They're trying to simply implant another wanting in your mind. Answer honestly, hand on heart, Answer to me, hand on heart, with full honesty. Is there a day in your memorable history? You can go back and say, Bante, on that day, that day in my memorable history, there was a day when. I wanted something and that was the end. Ever since, I've never wanted anything. Has there ever been a day like that? Just think about this morning. Did you not want something new? You know, just think about when you're browsing the internet. Oh, you're just on YouTube. You came onto YouTube to watch this video. Watch this talk. But, you know, on the side they have all those recommendations, right? On there. (laughs) right? So, one glimpse at that and what do you want now? You want to? You want to what? You want to click? You want to watch? No? Why is it called clickbait? Because they can catch you. If that's the bait, then what are you? You're the prey. Then what are they? They're the predators. Predators, bait, prey. And I pray that you realize that this is what's going on. It would be impossible for you to remember I, I doubt you'll be able to remember a day where you can go, think back and say, you know, Bhante, it was three months ago. I last wanted something. Ever since I've never wanted anything. I'm not talking about a new cupboard. I'm not talking about a new holiday. I'm not talking about a new car. I, it, those are big, grand, you know, the major things. It doesn't have to be big and huge things I'm talking about. I'm talking about little things. Very subtle things. Like, do you not want to watch any of those videos on the site? Have a look. No? You don't want to? You sure? Just hit a quick refresh on YouTube at the end of this talk. Something will pop up. You're telling me you don't want to? Maybe scroll down a little bit. Is there nothing that catches your eye? And you, want, I, and, and, and you start to think, hmm, I wonder what that is. And you want to click on it? Now, I know you'll ask me, what's the harm, Banthi? I'm just watching a video. Well, my point is, again, you are the prey. How does YouTube make its money? Are they bad? Oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. As I said, right at the start, I'm not saying that anyone's wild or vicious or, you know, this is very evil and everyone should be hung. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, this is what's going on. Are you okay with that? Your wanting is your own trap. It's a maze in which you are stuck. If you don't realize what's going on, then you will forever be destitute. People will continue to survive on your suffering, they'll harvest your suffering. Because your suffering, a.k.a. your wanting, is what's going to feed them. What they need to free themselves from their wanting. By, when I say free, I don't mean entirely redeem themselves because it's only Buddhist philosophy that can do that. But they themselves want something. And therefore they themselves are harvested. So you see, at the end of the day, you know, your suffering is being harvested, your wanting is being harvested. If that's the bait, this is the prey. So, clearly, it's a harvest. Please understand that I'm not saying that, you know, this is a very doom and gloom, you know, this is not a You know, I'm I'm not trying to say that this—the whole world is vile—and look at what people are doing to you. It's not my intention to try and find what's wrong with everything in this world. That is not what I'm trying to do. All I'm saying is, look at what's happening to you, because everyone has the right to the truth, don't they? We all have a right to know what's going on with ourselves. We all fight for our rights. Everyone has a right to understand what's going on, to them particularly, and and what is done to things that they're part of. If you're part of a system, you want to know what's going on. That's a right that you have. You have a right to understand how you are being used and abused to give you the choice. That's why I said, why Buddhism? So you have a choice. I want to make sure that all the cards are laid out on the table so you have a choice. You know what's going on with you. You can make a decision about your life. Do you mind or do you not mind that your your suffering is being harvested to satisfy insatiable wants of other people? Because you know that they themselves can never be satisfied. So you see, you are like a servant. There to look after someone who'll never die. Can you tell me when your job will end? Let me repeat that. Let's say you are hired to be a maid, a servant, right? to A helper, if you like, to someone, to, to look after them. You're going to have to wash them, feed them, clean them, and look after them, right? But they are deathless. They are immortal. When will your job end? When can you retire? They're immortal, by the way. The answer is never, right? Uh Aha! Well, by the same token, you are being harvested by someone whose appetite is insatiable. So their appetite is insatiable. Therefore, no matter how much you reap, they'll always want more. So when can you retire? When can you say, you know, that's it. From here on, no one's here to come and harvest my suffering. Therefore, from today on, all I'll need to do is just what I need to do to survive and have and be happy. But that is not possible. No matter how much money people have, no matter how much material wealth and luxury that people live in, what they don't realize is each and every one of them, from the poorest man to the richest man, they're all being harvested. This is the big human harvest. Harvesting of their suffering. All I'm here to do is to show you what's going on. To help, to invite you to open your eyes, to realize what's going on with the world and how you are being used and abused. It's each, every man to himself to answer the question, am I okay with that or am I not okay with that? If you're not okay with that, then there's an answer. The moment you read your mind of wanting, your suffering can no longer be harvested. But for as long as you are left wanting things they can continue to keep on feeding new things for you to want, new indoctrinations, new ideas, new food, new clothes, new TV programs, new films, new songs, new this, new that, new everything. It just takes a few messages, it takes a few marketing messages, slogans, uh, a, a bit of propaganda and you're caught. They just need some bait and bait is there everywhere. It's so profusely available that you so easily become the prey. Once again, I'm not saying that this is vile, vicious or anything like that. I've got nothing against people who do that. All I'm saying is, I don't like that happening to me. Not because they're bad or they're wrong. I just don't like that happening to me. That's why I'm working to rid my mind of wanting. I invite you to consider what I have shared with you and then ask yourself the question, are you okay with this happening to yourself? If you are, be my guest. If you are not, then let's work on ridding your mind of wanting, nothing to do with what we do to other people. They don't have to change one bit. Oh no, oh no. They don't have to change one bit, because that's never going to happen. You know, for all these years, the Buddhas have come and gone, but nothing's changed outside. So we've got to stop changing. We've got to try to stop changing outside and change ourselves. Nothing changes unless you change. If you change, everything changes. That's why these talks are for you, not other people. As in... You know, I'm not interested in broadcasting this message to everyone and hoping that everyone, every man, woman and child in this world listens to this and everyone stops marketing and advertising and, you know, slogans and and all this propaganda and all that stuff. That's not my my focus. That's not my interest. Very few people will listen to these talks over the the course of this program. Certainly in my lifetime and certainly over the, you know, for as long as these talks are on the internet, very few people will listen to them. That's just the nature. If you are listening to this, then you are a lucky person. You're lucky because you, you got to listen to it somehow. Perhaps someone in invited you, someone, perhaps someone shared you a link. Perhaps someone thought you'd be interested and said, listen to this. You know, this could make a change in your life. That's why you're here. That's why we transfer merits at the end of every talk. To be thankful and grateful to everyone who has shown us that there is life outside these four walls. That is the prison. We were born in the prison, we were destitute, but there were others who were so kind to show us, hey, take a moment and ask yourself, do you see that bird flying up there in the sky? Right? Yeah, it's flying over the wall, right? Now it just disappeared, didn't it? How could a bird just disappear? It must have gone somewhere, right? Where is that somewhere? They began to ask some interesting questions. Then, wise, intelligent people among us began to wonder, hmm, actually, that's a good point. I've seen birds land on trees. I've seen birds on the ground. But how could a bird just disappear like that? So then only one thing could be true. There has to be a world outside these four walls. You see, it's through logic, rhyme and reason, through solid evidence, you are able to understand that. This is the very reason I base these talks On logic, rhyme and reason. None of this is for you to believe through blind faith. That's why everything I've been sharing with you, I've always been giving you the logic behind it. Because this is a science. This is the philosophy. This is the science of the mind. That is what Buddhist philosophy is. I'll continue to share what I know, what I understand and how I see the world that I live in, in the hope that what good it has done to me, it will hopefully do for you, your family, your friends and the very few people who during the lifetime of these talks for as long as they remain wherever on the internet will benefit from them. It's not going to be everyone. It's going to be very few people and you are among the lucky ones. That's not because I preach them. That's because I know this is the path to ultimate happiness, to unconditional happiness, the happiness that can never be taken away from us. With that, I will close for today. Let us take a moment to transfer our merits, and bring the talk to a close. Okay, let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting period, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis. Upasakas and Upasikas who, since time immemorial, have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all the other monks resident at this monastery, as well as all the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. And may, to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane, may, to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, sadhu sadhu sadhu. us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who, for the sake of merits, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who contribute to the construction of the monastery to those of you who provide the Sangha, with shelter, arms, robes, and medicines, as well as those of you who have passed on their know how and continue to extend their well wishes. Maids with the power of these maids, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the maids to our mothers, fathers, husbands, and wives. Brothers, sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews, nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us and supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us also to take a moment to transformation to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfil the sambal sasana Let us also transfer to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may to the power of these maids they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfil the meritorious deeds, fulfil the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all those who have been our family, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in samsara, and those who have helped and supported us and assisted us in every way, shape or form they could. us also transmits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations. And may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have all acquired today. us also transmits to all those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been our friends and family to, the, in, to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them. And may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from non-meritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the Noble Eightfold Path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, that is all resolved, that may, to the power and blessings of all the mates we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land, and finally, may, to the power of all the mates we have acquired a, throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an Arahatun Vahantse, an Arahattherunin Mahanse in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautam Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu. And on that note, we shall conclude today's talk. Looking forward to speak with you again next week. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.